Good morning, New Life Church. I am so glad to be back with you today here in the pulpit, standing in our Lathrop campus on the platform, excited about delivering the message to you this morning. And I first of all want to give a shout out to uh, Pastor Brian, great message, undivided last Sunday. I hope you were inspired and encouraged through the word of God. And if you didn't listen to the message, you missed out, man. You need to go back and listen to the message. Uh, it's posted on Facebook. You can get it on YouTube or you can go to our website, newlifeca.church, and you can check it out there as well. Um, my wife and I are doing better, and we're so grateful for your prayers. Um, uh, we're now at, I mean, I'm filming this in advance, um, but by the time Sunday comes, we believe that we will be fully better and uh, energized and hopefully got our energy back. Uh, but wow, this thing is, is kind of serious. And uh, for those of you that have suffered with COVID-19 and have had to go through the symptoms and the quarantines and so forth, our thoughts, our prayers are with you. And uh, we're, we're in this thing together, ladies and gentlemen. Well, here we are having church again online instead of in person. This is our choice to do this uh, for the current time. We wanna make sure that all of our folks are safe. And I did do, an, uh, I addressed the church a few days back on, on prayer night on a Tuesday evening, this past Tuesday evening. If you wanna go back and check that out on Facebook, you can listen to my short message addressing Governor Newsom and, and um, uh, the decisions that were made. Uh, but we are, for this time, having church. We're still having church. So many people have said, so church is canceled. No, church isn't canceled. You can shut the building down, but you can't, touch, you can't shut the church down. Uh, church is not canceled. We're just meeting together in a different way. And I think that God, even though he isn't the instigator of this, uh, he isn't the initiator of this, but he is the finisher of this, I think that God is teaching us something as a church through this season. So pay attention to what God is trying to show you, what he's trying to show us as the family of God, trying to minister to our community and our region the good news of the gospel. And uh, we do wanna share with you, we're excited about a new ministry that will be coming soon. You're gonna be hearing from Pastor Trinity, our executive pastor and our Lathrop campus pastor very soon. She'll be contacting you to talk to you about an opportunity that we're giving you to stay connected, stay grafted here at New Life uh, during the month of August. So please pay attention, look forward to that announcement and I know you're gonna be blessed by having that opportunity. Well, I'm in this series called I Pledge Allegiance. We're living in some very difficult times to say the least, aren't we? And I realize this can be times, some people, it's very polarized right now. Some people are very uh, frustrated and anxious and discouraged and downcast. And then there's other people who are um, uh, also anxious, but maybe have a little bit more anxiety and fear associated with that. And, um, you know, we're human beings. We're not supposed to fear, but sometimes we get gripped with fear. And so we've got to accept and understand that there is a reality that uh, sometimes we become a little anxious about things. The Bible says be anxious about nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, bring a request before God that he could come through for you. But, but sometimes it can be difficult. I believe God's word. It can be hard to apply God's word sometimes. That's why we need the family of God. That's why we need one another. That's why scripture says as iron sharpens iron, that we can hold each other accountable and lift each other up in our times of need. But we're living in difficult times. Uh, we're in, people are in quarantine and people went back to work and then they're not going back to work and, and we had stimulus assistance and now there's no stimulus assistance. And, and what, what's, what is going on? are a lot of people's concerns. The economy is open, no, the economy is not open. Churches are open, no, churches actually aren't open. Uh, there's racial division, there's defund the police, 
There's, there's the, uh, uh, all of this going on in Portland and then the National uh, Guard comes. It's just, it's just all kinds of things that are happening all around us in our world in four short months we have a presidential election. The biggest election, perhaps of, of my lifetime, of your lifetime, is gonna be happening in just 16 or less short weeks. The nation seems to be polarized. The nation seems to be divided. And I can't think of a better time for us as a nation, as a church, as a family, to unite together. And so what I want you to do, I know it might be a little uncomfortable, but right there in your home or wherever you're at, I'd like you to stand up. And would you honor God with that? Would you just, not, no wink and a nudge, I'm talking to you, stand up. Because on your screen, we're gonna recite the Pledge of Allegiance together as we begin this gathering entitled, I Pledge Allegiance. Let's do this now. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Isn't it powerful? Isn't it powerful to recite the Pledge of Allegiance knowing that even though we're in different locations, in different places, in different homes, in different regions, we're still uniting together as one nation under God. Now, two weeks ago, I preached the first in this message series, and the message was simply entitled, I Pledge Allegiance. And hopefully you were inspired and encouraged through that message. And now this week, I'm gonna be addressing from our Pledge of Allegiance, the phrase, one nation under God. Today, we're gonna talk about that, but really the question we're gonna try to answer is, how do we as followers of Jesus Christ live under God in a world, in a culture that is increasingly hostile toward God? How do we do that? We're gonna address that question today. And then next week, we're gonna talk about the word indivisible, which is in the Pledge of Allegiance. And we're gonna we're try to address the question, how do we as followers of Jesus Christ stand united spiritually even though we might have differences politically? How do we do that? And then on the last week of this series, should the Lord tarry, I'm gonna address the phrase with liberty and justice for all. And during that time, we're gonna try to answer the question, how do we as followers of Jesus Christ living in this culture continue to love and to extend grace and yet never ever compromise the truth found in God's word? How do we, how do, we do that? There's a lot of questions. We need to get some answers and there's only one place to get the answers and that's in God's holy word. So I hope you've got your Bible with you today. If you do, I'd like you to go ahead and open to Daniel chapter one. We're going to be hanging out there in just a few moments. One nation under God. What does it mean to be under God? You know, let me give you a little history, a little context. A lot of people maybe don't recognize, but the original version, believe it or not, the original version of the Pledge of Allegiance did not have the phrase under God in it. Now, there's a lot of arguments about that, but the history is true. It, it is what it is. And so we know, and many people don't realize that under God wasn't originally in it. It was originally written, the Pledge of Allegiance, in 1887 by a gentleman by the name, his, the author's name was Colonel George Balch. Here's a picture of him. He was a 
Baptist minister, and get this, and a socialist. <laughs> he was a Baptist minister and a socialist. Now, I don't know about you, <coughs> excuse me, but where I come from, from the Midwest, um, that's called an oxymoron, a Baptist minister socialist. That's, that's an oxymoron. An oxymoron, two different words that really don't go together. They're generally opposite terms. Uh, let me give you a couple of examples. Like, like you've heard the jumbo shrimp. They just hard, have a hard time going together. How about this one? Microsoft works. <laughs> I think they kinda, they're oxymoron. They kind of don't go together all the time, especially if you're having problems with computers like I constantly do. Or, or maybe, maybe, maybe we could go with this one. Uh, government efficiency. <laughs> oxymoron. I could do this all day long. I'm having fun with this. But I think you understand. Baptist minister and socialist. They, they don't seem to go together. They, they clash. They're opposites. It's an oxymoron. But anyway, this, this guy wrote the Pledge of Allegiance. And this is a, this is a, a picture of what, of what the Pledge of Allegiance looked like. And you will note that there's no phrase under God in the original Pledge of Allegiance. But it, it wasn't until June 14th, 1954. That's Flag Day, by the way. Under the administration of President Eisenhower, it wasn't until June 14th, 1954, in a response to communist threats that President Eisenhower suggested adding the phrase under God to the Pledge of Allegiance. It was fully adopted by Congress on both sides of the aisle on, uh, shortly after June 14th, 1954. So under God became part of our Pledge of Allegiance. By the way, the same president, President Eisenhower, in 1956, and on July the 30th of that year, also signed into law uh, that the new motto of the United States of America was now officially, in God we trust. And so in 1956, that also became law, which then meant that on all currency, it would state, in God we trust. How many you trust in God? And how many understand that we are one nation under God? Hallelujah. What I want to do today is wrestle with the very important question, if you're a Jesus follower, and I realize not everybody who's watching this right now is a follower of Jesus Christ. I hope you will be. I hope you'll embrace God's love, his forgiveness, his freedom, his power, his, his, his overwhelming support. God is for you. He is not against you. But for those of you that are Christ followers, we're going to try to wrestle with this question, how do we live under God in a culture that's becoming increasingly hostile toward God. Let me say it again. How do we live under God in a culture that's becoming increasingly hostile toward God? How do we do that? Well, I think before we can answer that question, the how-to question, we have to answer a different question, an internal question, a self-reflection question, a look in the mirror question. And this is the question that we need to understand. It's very personal. Are you ready? Here it is. Am I under the influence of God or am I under the influence of culture? It's a big question. You got to answer it. You got to be real. You can't just hide behind your Christian mask. You got to answer the real question. Am I under the influence of God or am I under the influence of culture? And so what I want to do today is I want to take a look at a character in the Old Testament that is a great role model for each of us. His name is Daniel. He was a guy who, who had every cultural temptation stacked against him, and yet he stayed true and under God. 
Praise the Lord. Daniel chapter 1, I want to read to you the first eight verses. Follow along with me. It'll also be on your screen. I'm reading from the NIV. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hands, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter into the king's service. Among these were some from Judah, uh, Daniel, uh, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Let's, let's unpack this for just a moment this morning. Daniel worshipped the one true God. And an evil king, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, from an enemy land, a pagan land, a land that did not worship the true God, but worshiped false gods and idols. His name, King Nebuchadnezzar, came from the land of Babylon, uh, which is the modern-day Iraq, came from the land of Babylon, and came in and destroyed Jerusalem, the capital city of Israel, God's chosen land. He came in and destroyed it. He ripped the city to pieces. He destroyed everything. He even took the religious symbols away. He took away the things that reminded the Israelites of the one true God. Essentially saying, you have no identity anymore. I am stealing your identity from you. King Nebuchadnezzar then selected the best of the best, the best and the brightest potential young leaders from the uh, the nation of Israel, from the place he just sieged, um, from the place he just ransacked, he took the youngest, brightest, most handsome, most athletic, uh, have the most potential, the smartest uh, young leaders from there, and he stripped them out of Jerusalem, and he planted them into Babylon, into his homeland, and he said, we're going to train you to think like us, we're going to train you to behave like us, we're going to train you to act like us so that later you can be future leaders in our government. Oh, so there's a whole lot of intentional brainwashing that's going on here. A guy named Ashpenaz was the chief of the courts and he was assigned by this evil king, Nebuchadnezzar, to teach these young, these young fellas. And I just told you who they were. They had names. Uh, but their godly names that were given to them by their parents were stripped from them. And now they're known as not only Daniel, but as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
And I know you know the story of the fiery furnace, but that happens in the future. What I want to address are just these eight verses that we read today. And so what, Ash, uh, what, what Ashpenaz was supposed to do was train these four young, handsome, intelligent, um, uh, driven young men uh, to become leaders of the Babylonian empire, the evil empire. But the only way that the king was gonna let them become leaders in his government is if they accepted and believed and acted on all of his evil ways. Can you see how this was a, 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 a dastardly plan against God's chosen people. What happened? Well, the Babylonians ended up changing their language, these young people's language. They no longer were going to speak the native tongue of the Israelites. They were going to speak the native tongue of the Babylonians. They not only changed their language, they changed their education. They even attempted to change their diet. Eventually, they changed their names. And at first, at first, all of these young boys had, had names that, that um, brought praise and worship and, and um, um, recognition uh, that related to God, Yahweh, to, to, to the one true God. But the Babylonians renamed them names and these new names were directly related to pagan gods. What was their strategy? Let me give you the formula. The strategy was change what they think plus change what they believe equals change how they behave. Now, let me say it again, because this is powerful. This is what we get from this story, and it's very applicable to us today in the United States of America. Change what they think plus change what they believe. If you can change what people think and you can change what people believe, then it equals you're going to change how people behave. Now, I am telling you, we are in a full-on assault and an attack from our spiritual enemy who hates God and hates God's children, all of us who follow the one true God. Satan is on a mission to steal and to kill and to destroy. He is our spiritual enemy, and he is doing everything he can to leverage popular culture to be able to change how we think to change how we believe. Therefore, it will change how we behave. That's the plan of Satan in our current postmodern culture. Listen, why is he doing that? So that we are more in the system of the world than we are under God. So that we're more under the system of the world than we are one nation under God. That's his plan. So this is why I came today to tell you that you cannot halfway be a follower of Jesus Christ. You can't passively follow Jesus. You're either in or you're not in. And I want you to be all in with God. Somebody say amen. There's no such thing as a passive follower of Jesus Christ. It's, 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 it, doesn't, it doesn't work. It's, it's not the truth. Either you are or you aren't. Think about it this way. Um, either you eat right or you don't eat right, right? I mean, there's, there's no like, well, you know what? Every, every, uh, every other day I'm gonna eat right and every other day I'm not gonna eat right. The result is not gonna be healthy living. Either, either, either you are faithful to your spouse or you're not faithful to your spouse. But there's no like, you know what? Yeah, six out of the seven days a week, I'm totally 100% all in faithful. But you know, one day a week, either you are or you aren't. 
Now, what I want to show you right now is the key verse in these eight verses that we read that is really the, the crux of this entire message. So take a look at Daniel chapter one again. Look at verse number eight. Check this out. But Daniel resolved, there's that word, resolved, not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself <coughs> in this way. What did Daniel do? Daniel resolved. He made a predetermined decision. Daniel resolved not to defile himself. In what way? Well, remember, these boys, these four boys that were taken out of Israel and they were brought into this pagan land by a pagan king, now being trained by a pagan teacher, have been, um, their names have been changed, uh, their, their language has been changed, their education has been changed, and their food and drink is now being changed. They're now eating food that was at the king's table. He is grooming them in a very evil way, preparing them for the king's service. And Daniel uh, decides... It's, it's time to stand up. I think it's amazing. Um, I hope you're gonna find this interesting. Um, what the king is saying, you're going to eat the food from my table. What is so significant about the food from the king? It seems like the king would have the best food, the choicest food, the, the most flavorful food. Why not eat the, the, the food from the king's table? It's probably gonna be the safest food because you know, he's got people that are tasting and if they die, then he doesn't eat the food. Why not eat the food? Because here's the truth. The, the food from King Nebuchadnezzar's table is food that had been devoted to pagan gods. So Daniel says, I'm not gonna eat this. Not on this one. This is where I, this is where I draw a line in, in the sand. I might go along with you on some other stuff, King Nebuchadnezzar, but on this issue, baby, I'm not gonna budge. On this issue, yeah, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna back down. And here's, here's what's happening. It's kind of amazing. Whenever um, the Babylonian empire changed the names of these young guys to you know, Daniel, Shadrach, and Meshach, and Abednego, um, you know, they're like, well, you can call me, I think Daniel was thinking this, you can call me whatever you wanna call me. You, you, can, you can name, you can rename me and you can label me in any way you want to, but that doesn't change who I am on the inside. I'm not gonna fight with you when it comes to the names that you're calling me. But you mess with the name of my God, you mess with the name of the one true God, I draw a line in the sand and I will not tolerate that. I will not put up with that. I, I won't back down. I, I'm, I'm not eating something that's been dedicated to a pagan God that I will ingest and thereby bring that worship inside of me. I will not cross that line is what Daniel is saying. He resolved in his mind already, predetermined that he would not defile the name of his God in this way. Everybody else can. Everybody else can do whatever they wanna do. Everybody else can say that it's fine. Everybody else can say that it's no big deal. Everybody else can say it's just what everybody else is doing, it's not gonna hurt anybody else. God is gonna love you anyway. We still hear these things thousands of years later, don't we? We're hearing it in our culture today. No, 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 no. Daniel resolved in his heart not to defile the Lord in this way. You listen to me this morning, friends, listen. To, to faithfully live as one nation under God, we've got to make some predetermined resolutions in our life. 
if we wait until the moment of the battle to get ready for the battle, we're going to be defeated and we're going to be overcome again and again and again and again in our lives. Let me say that again. If you wait until the moment of the battle to get ready for the battle, you're going to be defeated and overcome over and over and over again in your life. You've got to make some predetermined resolutions in your life to live under God. That's my job is to help coach you and lead you and shepherd you so that you can make some predetermined resolutions to live under God. Daniel resolved in his heart and we as followers of Jesus Christ, we need to make some decisions ahead of time. We got to make some decisions, resolve in our heart that I am going to do this. I am going to apply this. I'm going to live this way. Or we've got to resolve in our hearts that I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to follow the way that everybody is. I'm not going to go with the flow. I'm going to go against the flow of this current culture. So here's, here's, here's a question I've got for you. Let's, let's do another question. What decisions do I need to make to continue to grow and to be fully under God instead of being intoxicated by the seductive lure of this culture. Let, let, me, let me ask you that one more time, still on your screen. What decisions do I need to make to continue to grow and to be fully under God instead of being intoxicated by the seductive lure of culture? What decisions do you need to make? Well, let me just give you a few of my decisions that I made. Number one, I've decided long ago that I would read the Bible, consume the word of God, be transformed by the renewing of my mind. And so reading the Bible became paramount, core to me in my walk with God so that I could live under God. Uh, Not just once a week, but every day. Uh, Another thing is I would go to church. Now I realize you can't go to the physical church today, but I decided that every time the church is available and open, I'm gonna be there. Some of you are like, well, you're the pastor. But long before that, when I got saved, we're, we're going to church. I think that's a predetermined decision that I'm gonna make sure that my tank is, is filled. I always told my girls when they were just beginning to drive that it doesn't cost any more to fill the top half of your gas tank than it does to fill the bottom half. In other words, don't wait till it gets to empty so you can put in half a tank of gas, but think of the half a tank of gas mark as the empty line. Keep it above all the time. When it drops below that, think of it, it's below empty now. See, what the bottom half is reserve in case you need it, in case you're really depleted, in case you're really lacking on resources. But listen to me, it's the same way in your spiritual life. Go to church, be faithful to church. As for me and my house, We're gonna serve the Lord. Another one that I decided in advance, a decision I made so that I could make sure that I was fully under God is that I would avoid temptation at all costs. I'm not gonna be tempted in in certain ways that the culture says is normal. And so we turn the channel or we we, uh, pause it or we don't watch those things or we don't listen to that type of of music or or whatever it is, I'm not gonna be tempted. I'm not gonna be alone with a person of the opposite sex. I'm not gonna put myself in a a precarious situation. I'm gonna avoid temptation. I made that decision in advance. If you wait till the moment that temptation comes to say, hum, what should I do about temptation? It's already too late. Or another one for me is my money is not my own. I don't even know why I called it my money. It's God's money that he has he's entrusted to me as a steward, as a manager of the resources that he's given to me. It all belongs to God. So we decided in advance, we're gonna honor God 
with our resources, with, with the money that he entrusts to us. We decided that in advance. Um, my words, another one is my words, need to be words that are full of faith. Now, I'm not telling you I'm perfect in all of these things, but I've predetermined in my heart and in my mind that I challenge you to do the same thing. That my words, man, my words need to be words of faith. I need to believe that he who began a good work in me will be faithful to complete it. That no weapon formed against me is gonna prosper, right? We need to be filled up with the words of faith, not the words of, of struggle, of, of discouragement, of defeat, of downcast spirit. We're called to be holy. Holy means that we're set apart. It means that we're different from this world. Uh, we're to live in the world, but we're not to live uh, of the world. Um, uh, we're, we're called to influence the world. A couple of weeks ago, I told you how you're an ambassador. You're a representative of the most high God. You have been sent now receive this, you have been sent by God from heaven to earth to represent him in all that you do with your family, in the marketplace, in the workplace, at school, wherever you're at, you've been called by God to represent him as an ambassador for Jesus Christ. That's why we decide ahead of time. That's why we predetermine on these areas, amen? Amen, hey, I want you to look at one more scripture and then I'm gonna wind this thing down today. First Peter chapter Five, verse number six. 1 Peter chapter five, verse number six. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's, there, did you hear that? Under God's, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. We serve a mighty, mighty God, a God of love, but a God that is to be feared, a God that is to be revered, a God that we need to understand that we serve a God of justice, which we'll address in a couple of weeks. And because of that, there, he's not a wink and a nudge God. He's not gonna let you off the hook for making stupid choices in your life. You see, you reap what you sow, but he, his grace is sufficient and will cover those things, but it's because of what it says in this scripture. Humble yourselves, so when we realize we mess up, we better humble ourselves, because why? Because we're under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. The problem is in our culture, our culture is diametrically opposed to what Jesus taught. I know you know this, but I'm gonna go there right now. Do you, hopefully you see this. Everything culture teaches, it seems, is exactly the opposite of what Jesus taught. You don't have to flip the channels very much or scroll the internet very long before you realize this to be true. What does culture say? Culture says, you know, look on social media, promote yourself, elevate yourself, indulge yourself. That's what culture says. What did Jesus say? He said, deny yourself. Culture says, if you wanna be great, well, you better brag on yourself. You better position yourself. Jesus, Jesus says, well, if you wanna be great, you better serve other people. Culture says, consume, consume, consume. Jesus says, give, give, give. Culture says, if someone wrongs you, hate them, terminate the relationship destroy them, fight. But Jesus says, if someone wrongs you, love them, bless them, and be an encouragement to them. Oh, culture says, pursue things. Jesus says, pursue God. Culture says, live for now. Jesus says, uh-uh, live for eternity. Culture says, pursue happiness. And Jesus says, pursue holiness. Pursue that which lasts. You know, culture says, if you, wanna, if you wanna find yourself, then you probably better, you know, get drunk and get wasted and have more. 
Jesus says, if you wanna find yourself, lose yourself. Give yourself away. Find yourself in God. Have we become so intoxicated by our seductive, attractive message that the culture is screaming out that we have no idea that we've drifted from God? Have we? Have you? Man, I pray not. But if you have, let this be a wake-up call today. Here's the litmus test, I think, that can help you know the answer to the question. If you're under God, guess what? People are gonna laugh at you. People are gonna make fun of you. They're gonna, they're gonna make fun of us. That, that we're gonna be persecuted. Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they're certainly gonna persecute you. That, that's, that's why I'm, I don't really worry when people persecute me so much. I really worry when they don't because when they stop persecuting you, when they stop saying things about you, rolling their eyes or doing whatever it is they're doing, um, that means you've conformed to the culture like everybody else. So here we go, closing questions. The question that we started this off with is, how do we live under God in a culture that's becoming increasingly hostile toward God? Well, I gave you the answer to the question, but here it is again. Make predetermined resolutions. I'm not talking about January 1st resolutions that are broken by January 4th. I'm talking about decisions ahead of time and don't back down. Make, make predetermined resolutions. In other words, know who you are. Know the core values inside of you. Absolutely, totally, and utterly based upon God's holy word. Know those and then live those, and don't ever, don't back down. In the fact, there was a Tom Petty song that was done many years ago called Won't Back Down. And, and uh, it, was, it was a re-sung by a Christian group called Mercy Me. I, I just want you to know, uh, this song, the history of this song written by Tom Petty, who I don't know if he was a Christian or not, I, I'm not gonna judge, but that's not really the point. But the reason this song was written was because arsonists burned his home down with his wife, his family, and their housekeeper. They were home. Fortunately, they got out. The home burned to the ground. They never did find the arsonists that burned down the house. There's speculation of a conspiracy because of I could get into it, but it doesn't really matter. But he went through a dark, dark period in his life after that, bouncing his family from hotel to hotel in fear that these aggressors were going to continue to try to harm him. Then there was a moment in time that something happened. And, and in this moment of time, it's, it's, it, it, we, he began to, it says, resolve. He reclaimed his life to get past the torment. And then he penned the words to this, to this song. Now I realize this isn't a Christian song, but I kind of want this to be a, 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 a mantra for us in this message series, particularly when we're talking about living under God. So give me three minutes Listen to the song, and I'll be right back. Well, I won't back down. No, I won't back down. You can stand me up at the gates of hell, and I won't back down. Gonna stand my ground. 
Did you get that? You can stand me up against the gates of hell, but I won't back down. Now listen, I don't know what Tom Petty meant by that, and I don't even want to get into that, and I don't need anybody's comments. Just take it at face value of what I'm giving to you today. The point is, this song means a different, um, has a different fresh meaning to followers of Jesus than to other people. You see, other people believe, you know what, if I have enough resolve, enough strength, enough self-determination, enough self-trust, if I could just stand my ground, then everything else around me is going to uh, succumb to that type of persevering spirit. Well, I appreciate that in motivational talk, but that's not what the gospel says. See, the gospel says something different. And so when I listen to this song, and hopefully when you just listen to this song in your home or your car or wherever you're at, you received a little different message from this. You can stand me up against the gates of hell, but I won't back down. Not because of my own persevering power, but because of the one who already paid the debt, because of the one who already overcame death, hell, the grave, and Satan himself, because Jesus paid the price on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins, and he empowered us so that we could have abundant life. John 10.10 tells us the thief came to steal and to kill and to destroy, but Jesus says, I have come that they might have life and have it to the full or have it more abundantly. He wants to give you that abundant life. You can stand me up against the gates of hell, but because of Jesus, because of my lasting predetermined, resolute relationship with Jesus Christ, my life living under God, I won't back down. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come before you today and we thank you for your word. We thank you for the example of Daniel in the Old Testament where he showed us that he would not back down. He would not bow down. He would live as as, he, as, as authoritative and powerful and consistently under God as we should. And so today, God, I pray that we would have a Daniel spirit, that we would live under God, that we would predetermine resolutions in our mind, in our heart, in our spirit of how we would live and how we would act and how we would think so that our behavior would be in line with your word every day of our lives. Right now, I plead the blood of Jesus over everybody watching, over everybody listening, over the children, God, over the teenagers, God, over the moms and dads and the grandmas and grandpas. I plead the blood of Jesus right now over these homes. Then I ask God for your anointing and your power and your strength and your love to abound, Lord God, that we would be one nation under God. Lord, would you help us to live under God every day of our lives, every day of our lives. Now, with all heads bowed and all eyes closed, I wonder as I'm speaking to you, if you have a relationship with Jesus. I spoke a little bit earlier and I asked you, and I said, listen, some people, either you're in or you're not in. You're all in or you're not in at all. And I wonder if some of you thought you were in, but now you realize, man, I gotta be all in with God, 100%. I don't have a chip in my pocket. It's all on the table. I am all in with my great and mighty God. That's what it means to live under God. And if you want to live under God, fully surrendered to him, then just lift your hands right where you're at, right in your living room, right in your kitchen, right in your car, wherever you find yourself today, listen to this live or listen to this recorded later on and just say, God, I surrender. Say it, God, I surrender it all to you. I give you my heart. I give you my life. It's all yours, God. I am no longer my own. I have been bought at a great price. 
Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Thank you for forgiving me. I confess you as my Lord and Savior. I am no longer in the driver's seat, but you are God. And I thank you for that. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen and amen. To God be the glory. Great things he has done. Can somebody say amen? Just say amen right now in the comments. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hasn't God been good to you? He's been good to me. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you. May he lift up his countenance upon you. May he give you rest and may he give you peace. God bless you, New Life Church. I bless you as you live this week as one nation under God. Amen.